Amen. I trust your heart's encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ today. It seems as though the Lord has on purpose orchestrated even what we've sang about today, and I'm grateful for that. Acts chapter 1. Um, I, there are some of you, I presume, uh, and I, I, I feel like I'm kind of the, as I look back past over my college years, you know, four million years ago, um, I was not necessarily one of these, but I know that there were plenty of them around me, if I can put it that way. So um, you may think, boy, I just, I just can't wait to be done with college, university, and on to real life stuff. I feel like I'm just kind of, you know, doing, uh, it's like, do I have to really do this? Now, I, I hit some of that when I, when I went on, I went on to grad work, and then I had some of my fellow classmates. They went out into ministry, and they were serving the Lord, and it seemed like God was prospering their work, and here I'm stuck at Maranatha, and then on into my seminary work in Pennsylvania, and just kind of, what am I doing? And I, you know, I crammed four years, I'm sorry, three years, well, yeah, I crammed four years of college into five. And then I crammed three years of my MDiv into five. Um, and so it seemed like forever before I got to where I felt like the Lord wanted me. Um, I'll never forget, uh, I was my, after my senior year in high school, um, I was farming. I was a hired hand. I, hired, I was a hired hand for several different farmers. And uh, one of the reasons the farmers would hire me is so by the end of the summer I could run the farm and they could take their probably like first vacation in 20 years or whatever. You're milking cows, you, I mean, they milk them morning and evening, you know, every day of the week. Um, and so I'm working while well, the farmer went away, and I'm a homebody, um, and the farmer's dad was still there. He's, he's retired. He'd come to the farm, did what he wanted here and there. Uh, Mr. Schomburg was his name, Mr. Schomburg. And so he and I were running the farm, and it was... Partway through the week when the, the regular farmer was, was uh, gone, and I was miserable. Um, as I recall, it was also when my mom and dad were up at Camp Shatek. They were helping run the camp week for that week. So I was home alone. Uh, the farmer was away. It was just Mr. Schomburg and I. I, I literally hated it, and I was wishing I couldn't wait. And I'd, I probably, I don't know, I suspect I told Mr. Schomburg one too many times, I can't wait till like Saturday when everybody's home again. And he finally, and so now, Mr. Schomburg is not saved. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him several times. Um, I don't know where he's at today. But here was this unbelieving man who'd lived life a long time, and he finally said, David, stop wishing your life away. And it, it, it obviously, it struck a chord. I still remember it today. And I realized, wait a second, he's right. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day that I have. I don't have tomorrow. I don't have yesterday. It's gone. I have right now. And God has a purpose and plan for right now. And that's true of you too. And yet, let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard to live in transition where we feel like we don't know what's happening in my life. I, I've talked to some of you. It's like, what's your plans? I don't know. Well, that's okay. Don't, don't be ashamed of that. If you don't know, you don't know. God, you don't need to know tomorrow. You need to know today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We've got all problems today. Don't worry about tomorrow's problems, all right? And yet God has given us, in his word, several instructions on what to do and what I call in living in the midst of transition. So what can you do today for the Lord? Well, as we come to Acts chapter 1 here, we are in the midst of transition, a rather significant theological transition, but a life, a 
total transition for the 12 disciples and then the other disciples that we'll discover in the chapter, 120, their Savior just ascended, and we'll, we'll read it in a minute. Now what? what? What are they supposed to do? Well, the Lord gave them some instructions that I think are instructive for us. In the midst of times in our life where we don't know where we're going, what we're doing, we have today. So how am I supposed to live today? All right, so if, you're gonna, if you've got a pen or maybe your phone and you're going to take notes on the phone, I've got seven points. Hang on to your hats, I'm flying, all right? We're going to get through the entire chapter. Um, it's a sweet narrative, and I think we can just point out some very biblical principles from this passage. Remember, all the words in every word are important in God's word. This narrative was not put here just to get us to chapter 2 when the church starts. Now, that's important. Uh, around here, we love Acts chapter 2. We are local church folk, right? And so uh, we cherish, as Peter preaches, that the Holy Spirit comes. It's the beginning. It's like that's... And then the power that comes and the work of God just all of a sudden just expands exponentially. Thousands saved. But Acts 1 is still important. And they, this is the joy of it. They did the right thing in the midst of transition. It was not a worthless time. It was worthwhile. So what is it? Let's start in verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that uh, Jesus began both to do and to teach. So talking about the book of Luke. And now he's going to write a, a volume number 2 to his friend, it appears, Theophilus. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he so, uh, what commandment? Probably a reference to the Great Commission. Other words that he told them that they'll either record for us later, or it was precious to them personally. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, these disciples could not wait for the kingdom. <laughs> they had, we, as we see throughout, script, uh, throughout the Gospels, they had asked many times, is the kingdom, what's, what's up with the kingdom? That's, that had been a part of their theology in the Old Testament. They were waiting for Israel to be on top of the world, literally. And now Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, is still talking about this kingdom. And that probably becomes a point of frustration, as you'll see here in just a second. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In a little while here. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> it was still on their mind. They still didn't catch it all. They still didn't understand what God was going to do. And God in his grace would reveal that to them. That's chapter 2 and on, all right? They're still thinking very much in their Old Testament setting. Okay. You've risen again. You've conquered death. This must be the time that you're going to rule and reign on the throne of David. Verse 7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. 
Do you remember when you were at home and mom and dad said, you don't need to know about this right now? I don't know about you as a kid. It's like, oh, come on, why not? <laughs> you get mad at dad, all right? Son, knock it off. You don't need to know. Why? Anyways. I wonder if that was some of the disciples' response at this moment. Ah, what? I, I, I don't need to know the times of the seasons. Oh, haven't we been living for the kingdom? Is, isn't it going to come? It's not for you to know. The time will come, and you'll know when it's here. But for right now, you just need to wait. My father was a sprinter in high school, uh, I could not outrun my dad, even though I was usually the fastest one in my class, until he was in his 60s. The guy can move. And I got a little bit of that gene from him, I think. Um, I don't like to sit still. Um, I never, part of the reason school was hard was because I didn't like to sit still. I didn't I, sit and read books. This is boring. And now we have the disciples in the same spot. Sit down, son. And wait. Now, you may feel like that today. All right, so what happened? All right, well, let's keep on going. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Key word, we're going to come back to that at the end of the uh, chapter. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. A reiteration, really, of the Great Commission. And when they, he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. It's like... The promise of the kingdom just vanished. The king just left. What? Now what? Well, let's see what happened. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? It's not for you know, to know the times or the seasons. right? Don't stand here with your mouth open. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, we're used to that. We, we are living in this period where we're waiting for the Lord to return. Maybe he could come today. Wouldn't that be just absolutely amazing? I hope you're prepared for it. I hope you're living today and prepared for it. But this unique promise to the disciples at the moment was probably just a touch of satisfaction and, and comfort. The king just left. What are we doing now? He'll come back. He's given you some instructions. You'd be willing to follow. So that's what they did. Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, about seven-tenths of a mile or so. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simeon, Zelotes, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, his physical brothers. First of all, in the time of transition, lived by hope, really live by faith, if you want to put it that way. Remember the promises that God has given you, just as he, for these disciples, gave them a promise. Christ will come back. Trust God's plan. Live 
by God's word. He had told him in John chapter 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. He had already reminded us earlier. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I wonder if on their trip back, that Sabbath day's journey back into the city, I wonder if that promise came to their mind. Christ had promised in that very chapter in the book of John that he'd bring these things to remembrance for them. I wonder if they remembered that promise, that hope. Okay, Lord, we're waiting for the comforter. That, oh, in fact, he reminded us, we saw it already at the beginning of the chapter. Wait for the promise from the Father. He'll endue you with power. He'll indwell you with the Spirit of God, verse 8 even. All right. This is a moment in transition when it seems like life is not at its fullest for you. Live by faith. Trust God's word. As university students, this is your time to occupy, to get busy, be about the life that God has given you here, and actually even enjoy it. (laughs) Knowing that God has a plan for your future, individually uh, put together for you. We don't know what it is, neither do you. Maybe God has given you some desires of your heart that seem to be aligned with what others are seeing in your life, And yet, you're right now in transition. You're stuck here. That's okay. Wait. Live in faith and hope. God, in your good time, you will direct my steps. But right now, I'm going to trust you. It's okay, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm reminded of what was recorded in Luke chapter 19, the great parable, Occupy till I come. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Young person, just be watching and waiting. Live in hope. If God's promised it, it'll be accomplished. And then we saw, as I already read in verse 12 and 13, they returned. Um, They were with the the apostles there in in verse 13. Uh, They're going to start doing, obeying what what is right. They went back, and it says there in verse 13, when they were coming, they went up into an upper room, and their abode. Uh, The the idea is that they just, they, they part. They remained permanently. God had said, Christ had said, wait. Okay, so, all right, we're going to sit here and wait. Waiting can actually be a part of our obedience when it's God-directed. Now, in our waiting, don't hesitate when God gives direction, and don't be lazy. When God opens the door of opportunities for more ministry and life that's going on, you know, I suspect some of you are thinking about getting married. And yet, Prince Charming, he's not here. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, and you're waiting, all right? Obey what is right, right now. Now, you know, the the princess may not be here, too, for the guys, all right? Keep, keep waiting. Do right, right now. What they knew to do, Christ had said, wait. Okay, so they abode. It's like they, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to park and wait. That's what the instruction God said. Now, is waiting fun? Often not. Because it means that you're anticipating something in the future and something generally that you want. But there are times and seasons in life where we simply wait. The Lord knows what he's doing. The times and seasons are his. May we be willing to wait and do what's right right now.
So what's your job today? Well, I suspect most of you have to go to classes today. Do it right. Not half-heartedly. God, God doesn't want a half-hearted servant. Dig in. I don't like that class. I don't like that teacher. It doesn't matter. You need the stuff. Get it. Uh, I remember, uh, I've used this illustration a couple times, but not here maybe. Uh, first year in seminary here, new professor came into the school. Um, the first paper I turned in, he had very little to say about the content. He ripped it to shreds. This is back in the typewriter days. Forgive me, all right? And he had taken out his ruler and measured all the margins and everything. And I was like, you know, the typewriter was one letter off. And I got, I got a 75 on the paper. I had never gotten that low of grade in my life. And it was like, ugh. I went and talked to him. And he, he wasn't budging. It was, well, you didn't do it right. Okay, okay. So I spent the rest of the semester fighting a bad attitude and fighting to get my grades up. <laughs> and I said, all right, Lord, I need your help. I actually learned some things that semester. And the Lord helped me get the grade back up. Uh, the pressure was on in finals. I'll never forget going into that class, begging God to help me. Get, I needed to get a really high A on the test. And he gave it to me. Now, that's a small thing. And yet it was one of those moments in my life that was a learning experience. There are times in life, young people, where the rules don't seem to be nice to you. Okay, but it's, is it your role to, be, to occupy, to stay under? Well, then do it. All right, obey. Obey what you know to do is right right now. Let's hasten on. So they all continued in prayer, it says in verse 14, supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with the brethren. Um, learn to... Learn to do several things here. Number, I'm on number three already. So live by faith. Obey what is right right now. Lean on your spiritual leadership. Why is it that God seems to have on purpose listed the, the 11 apostles here? Well, they were in leadership roles. And in fact, we'll see here as we move through the rest of the narrative, Peter takes the lead in helping them make another choice while they were still waiting. It is characteristic of the younger generation, and I'm going to put you there, all of us older have been younger at some point, and in fact, Proverbs makes this very clear, the younger generation often has at some level a disdain or a dislike for the older generation. Uh, some of it is natural. Uh, you're growing up, you're becoming adults, you're making your own decisions, um, you don't have history in your life to direct your thinking, and so... The old fuddy-duddies, you know, it's like, why, why they're, uh, they're just in my way. Now, you live in a culture and time that has utterly rejected learning anything from the past. Um, and that is not, generally speaking, biblical or right for you. We have the Word of God that was written down in the past that's still effective for right now, today. And then God, in His wisdom and plan, in our day and age, in the New Testament, has given us pastors, teachers, parents. You say, Dr. Anderson, you don't know my mom and dad. True. But if they're your mom and dad, God has given you some instructions about how your relationship's supposed to go with them. There's this simple word saying, obey. Well, well, I'm off to college. So, are you a child of your mom and dad? Well, I'm a big kid. Good. That's great. Keep going. 
Do you realize that I still have a biblical responsibility to heed and hear my father's advice? I'm to honor them. And even though I might disagree at times with my father, I had better honor what he says because he comes with a lot of wisdom. The reality is I have a godly man that's my father. So almost everything he says, it's like a yes, sir, that's wise, that's good. Be willing in your life right now. You will put yourself in good stead if you're willing to listen to the leadership that God has placed in your life. Now let me encourage you. Let me stop you for just a second to say, take the time to let your teachers hear. Now, our teachers aren't your pastors, and they're not your parents, and those are critical relationships in your life. But we're a part of the process of developing and growing you that I think is God's design and plan even for you. Take the time to build relationships with those around you, the teachers, the older generation. They actually may give you a piece of wisdom that will help you make right and good decisions, and you'll look back one day and thank God for them. I have teachers in my life to this day that I still thank God for regularly. They directed my thinking. Was I trying to go the wrong way? No, I was not. I wanted to follow the Lord. And yet I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough. That's just the reality. There hadn't been life experience with the word of God. And those spiritual leaders were critical for directing my steps. Here the apostles in this chapter are going to take the lead and help this young body. Could we call it a church yet? Not quite. It's not chapter 2. But this group of believers that were wanting to follow the Lord, they'd heard God's command, they were waiting, and yet there were some things for them to do while they were waiting. And they let the leadership lead. Do that too. You will never regret obeying God's word by obeying the spiritual leadership that's in your life. Children, obey your parents in the Lord's way. I'll never forget several times in college, I'm trying to make a decision about whatever it was, traveling for the school, looking for a job. I literally, I was like, I don't know what to do. Call dad. It was back in the day. The pay phones were in the, in, the, in, the, in the dorms. So I would make a collect call. They would refuse the collect call and then call the, the phone right back so it was cheaper that way. Anyways, so I'd wait, I, you know, sitting at the bottom of the steps waiting for the phone to ring after I made the collect call. Come on. Dad, okay, what? And so, and I'd be like, everybody's around, but it didn't matter. I, I needed to know dad's wisdom. Dad, what, what do you think I should do? And then to hang up the phone after dad had given me his wisdom and walk away and say, Lord, you told me that I'm supposed to obey my mom and dad. I don't know what's the right decision here, but dad said this is a good one, so I'm going to do that. And have the assurance of heart that because I obeyed dad, I was obeying God. The wisdom of the older generation can help you direct your steps to doing God's will. Let's say Sanan. So lean on your spiritual leadership. Number four, be in one accord. This is still in verse 14. Notice it says there, these all continued with one accord. Uh, It's a beautiful term. It's talking about harmonizing. Um, So different notes and tones, and yet producing a concert. There is something that a whole bunch of stringed instruments individually cannot produce until they play all together. That's the joy of a symphony. Uh, Our symphonic band is out. Lord willing, by God's grace, I'll be back with them tonight. Um, And there's something about the sound of that whole that cannot be produced by just a handful of them. There is, I realize, we're not a church here. And you're a part of church families. You be with one accord with that church family. Do it in your home. Uh, 
why not, in the midst of a transition in your life, why not have some joy and blessing about getting along with the people that are around you? Now, create some unity in your dormitory. Um, this is not the time to be the critic of everybody and everything. <laughs> transition in particular, you need friends. You need someone to come along and encourage you to say, yes, hang in there, it's okay. Well, if you've criticized everybody and everything, no one's going to want to encourage you. <laughs> um, give grace to those around you and look at that person through the eyes of Christ. He loves them. Well, they're a jerk. Christ still loves them. Dr. Budol, I'll never forget sitting in one of my horn lessons and he would philosophize for the first half hour and then we'd have 15-minute lessons, all right? Um, and I, David, any man can be your teacher. And he lived it out. I, it was such a joy to interact with him and he would ask me, what do you think? It's like, Dr. Budol, you're Dr. Budol. You know all the answers, don't you? Why are you asking me? Because he wanted to learn. There, and you know what it did? It bound my heart with his. With all of his unique quirkiness and all my unique quirkiness, he was a dear friend. And it brought joy in the transition years of my life through college and seminary. You get along with people around you, and you know what it does? It brings joy to this day of transition. Your classes could be super hard today, but you got a friend, you can commiserate together. And as they do here, you can pray together, right? So let's hasten on. So not only with one accord, but then verse 14. What did they do in one accord? They prayed. And they supplicated before the Lord. They, in humble entreaty, asked God to direct their steps. It's very apparent that word supplicate has the idea of utter submission and strong entreaty. They were seeking God's will and submitting to God's will. They were praying for the promise of the Spirit that was to come. They wanted God's word to be fulfilled in their life. We will see in a moment that they will choose a new apostle to join them in being a witness for Christ. No, no wonder God helped them because they started in prayer. And in fact, if you run through the book of Acts, I'll just give you a couple references. It seems like prayer bathed a lot of their ministry. No wonder God used them. Because they said, God, you're in charge. Prayer is saying, Lord, I, don't, I can't do this. I need you. So they prayed in chapter 1, verse 24. We'll get there. Choosing witnesses. In chapter 8, verse 14. As the gospel went to Samaria. In chapter 9, in the calling and healing of Saul. Ananias did some pretty amazing prayer there, right? Chapter 10, when the gospel went to the Gentiles, there was prayer referenced several times throughout. Chapter 13, when they were sending Paul, and, or Saul at that moment, and Barnabas out on that first missionary, they stopped, prayed, and fasted. Young person, in times of transition, when you don't know what to do, where should you go? Go to the Lord in prayer. You remember? He loves you. He's actually interested in your life. He's the sleeper that's utterly committed to you. He never sleeps. Remember the illustration from Luke chapter 11 from the beginning of the semester here? All right. Don't forget that God wants to answer your prayer. Run to him in prayer. Well, let's hasten on. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. 
Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So Peter, in this decision-making process, and here's point number six, make wise, biblically sound decisions. He ran to the word of God to help make choices, even in the time of transition. Every time you make a choice, you should be contemplating, what does the word of God have to say about this decision? Is there an example, or is there a principle or precept of the word of God that comes to bear on my choice? So what are you going to do over Thanksgiving break? I'm going to sleep. Good. This may seem very almost mundane, but is that God's will for you? It probably is. <laughs> it's okay. Now, if you sleep 24-7 for seven days, that's pretty bad. That's lazy, all right? Okay. Uh, maybe you need to make, Lord, how do I use this time? Okay, this is a time of preparation. I need to be prepared. So that means I probably should do some homework. I'm sorry. Over Thanksgiving break. That's God's will. Get back to Scripture. Study. Know the Scriptures. That's what they did here. They ran the Scriptures. So he's quoting, if you want to write some cross-references down real fast, he's quoting from Psalm chapter 16, Psalm 69, I should say, verse 25. Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 109, verse 8. So there's a quote here at the end of chapter, verse 16, and then he's going to quote again in verse 20. And now he... Uh, and verse 17, I'm sorry, is part of that quote as well. For he was numbered with us, had it obtained a part of this ministry. Verse 18 and 9, he gives a little commentary. So if you have a weak stomach, hang on here for just a second. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem. So Luke providing commentary after the fact of what happened to Judas as we kind of combine the stories in the book of Matthew and here in, in Acts chapter together. It seems as though Judas went and hung himself probably over the edge of the cliff. He fell from there, or else actually the word is, could mean that he was bloated. It's just kind of a gross picture. Um, and they all named it the field of blood. They saw him there, dead. An amazing testimony of what happens to the rebel. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, in so much I'm in verse 19, is that the field is called in the proper tongue, Akeldama, that is to say the field of blood. Now here he goes back to quoting scripture again. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, in light of what scripture has said, as Peter in his mind, and I'm sure he was with the leadership, they all approved this. They said, all right, I think we know what we're supposed to do right now here in transition. Let us choose someone to take the place of Judas. Let his bishopric, his apostleship, be given to another. So that's what they did. Wherefore, these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness. There it is. It's the same word as in verse 8. Be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, I wonder if he had some kind of uh, identity crisis. Three names. Joseph, Barsabas, Justice. I wonder what his mom called him. Anyways, okay. And Matthias, all right. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two 
thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered, was put into the role of apostle, who was numbered with the eleven apostles. As you make wise biblical decisions, make sure that your decisions, even in the midst of transition, is based on Scripture. But then finally, prepare for ministry ahead. God had called them to be a witness. They needed the voice of that twelfth apostle. Um, I, we can argue and discuss, and we're not going to take that time today, but it seems to me that this was actually the right choice that they made. Some would say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Isn't he the twelfth? Well, it, it seems as though if, if that had been God's plan, and Luke, uh, the Apostle Paul's physician, the writer of the history of the Apostle Paul would have probably defended the apostolic role of Paul in that role of the twelve, I should say. Throughout the book of Acts, there would have been a very appropriate time, and he never does that. It seems apparent here that what God was recording for us was on purpose for us to realize that where they could make right choices, where they could make decisions, they did. And they were preparing and ready. They knew that the promise of the Spirit was coming. And they wanted to be all ready to go. So back to your training here at Maranatha. Young people, you're doing the right thing. I don't know how many men over the years I've talked with and said, men, they're, they're coming to the end of their bachelors and they're anxious to get out in ministry. And I said, well, my encouragement is you're not quite ready yet. Aww. I said, okay, so your bachelor's degree has given you your hammer and your saw, your screwdriver. They're useful tools. But if you're going to be efficient in ministry, and be able to get a lot of work done for the Lord, you need some power saws, some drills. And that really happens when you go on for grad work. And you learn to dig deep into God's word so that you can preach it with clarity, with confidence that you're saying what God says, not what you're thinking. And so there's this period of making the decisions that says, now my wait is longer. <laughs> I just want to get out there and you know, grow up and be a real man. No, wait. wait. Wait for the time. They made right choices so that when the moment came, they were ready to serve God. Acts 1 was critical for what happened in Acts 2 and beyond. They had a heart loving the Lord, obeying their leadership, submitted to God in prayer, making right choices in what God had given them to make right now so that when the Spirit came, the Word of God went forth in power and glory. Now, will we ever hear of Matthias again? We won't. My suspicion is his name will be written on one of the foundations of the city. And my suspicion is we get to glory, we're going to find out how many people he led to Christ too and helped disciple Young person, I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. But we can live today. Right. May we follow the Lord today. Make, you, make right choices. Be ready for God's plan for you tomorrow. 
I trust the Lord will give you a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving break. Do get some rest. That's God's design. Do study. That's God's plan for right now. Do be a blessing to your mom and dad. That's God's design too. You see, there's a lot to do, even in transition. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I trust that this beautiful illustration, the record of history of what they did, will be an encouragement to our hearts today. There are times where we're anxious for the future. And yet you've only given us today. And so we, may we today live like these early disciples of yours, obeying what they know to do, waiting patiently, loving your word, and ready for when the call comes to do the great work. Bless these students today in every way, in your name. Amen.